you're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 183rd episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we will be continuing our conversation on education with Dr. Patricia Roby, a good friend and colleague of mine with William Glasser International. Dr. Roby is a full professor in psychology and counseling at Governor State University in Illinois. She has over 20 years of experience working with undergraduate, master's, and doctoral level students. She is also a licensed professional counselor, a nationally certified counselor, and coach. Dr. Roby is a senior faculty member of William Glasser International and Glasser Institute for Choice Theory U.S. She is known internationally as a presenter and workshop leader specializing in the applications of choice theory in counseling, education, management, and for personal development. She is the author of numerous articles and contributions to professional textbooks and is the lead editor and contributing author to Contemporary Issues in Couples Counseling, a Choice Theory and Reality Therapy Approach. Thank you so much for joining us today, Pat. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Okay. Are you ready to jump right in? I am. I'm excited about this topic and it's fun to be able to talk about it. All right. Wonderful. The first question I have is what values, beliefs, and practices do you consider when you're planning for a new academic year? Because we know that you have Governor State behind you, the listeners can't see it, but we know that you are a full professor at Governor State University. So what are the things you take into consideration for a new academic year? The way I look at education in general is through the lens of Dr. William Glasser's work in choice theory and in particular applied to quality schools. The key piece that I found has been universal no matter what I'm doing, but in particular we're talking about education now, is the importance of establishing a relationship before anything else happens. Whether you're working with a kindergarten student, a fourth grader, an eighth grader, or people in their doctoral degree, everyone is interested in getting to know you and establishing a feeling of safety and trust in that environment. For me, whatever I start doing, whether it's presenting or being in the classroom or counseling, it's critically important for people to know who I am and where I'm coming from. For me, what that also means is some transparency, so they know what to expect from me. For example, I like to let people know a little bit about who I am, what I believe, what they can expect from me, what I'm not likely to be doing, and what I expect from them, what I want them to do, what I don't want them to do. So kind of setting the stage up front, but always to have those criteria within the space of a relationship of trust and comfort, because I believe that's what needs to be in place for people to take risks and grow. I like that. So when you explain the parameters, it provides that sense of trust because people know where the boundaries are. Yes. And also, this is especially true, I think, in higher education, where we have a little more flexibility, maybe than in grade school or high school. But we do have the opportunity to share at an adult level our own personal experiences, which then opens the opportunity for others to share their experience 
that develops a foundation for growth. And often the learning goes in different places. And one of the things that I love so much about being in education is I always learn while I'm teaching. It's a reciprocal process. And for me, that keeps it energizing and fun. We always can learn from someone else. That environment is critical to that. Yeah, it's beautiful because if you're not coming in as the authority of the person that has all the answers, you come in as an expert in your field, maybe, but willing to hear and learn from the people that are coming in because they're out in the field, they're doing it now, and they're working with younger people than you and I probably worked with, different generations. And it's fascinating to learn and think about how much we grow when we work with people. One thing I have learned over the course of time that's been humbling is there's a lot I don't know. I remember when I first started teaching, some people will talk about this imposter syndrome, and I started to realize really quickly how much I had still to learn. Even though I had two master's degrees, I have a doctoral degree, but still there's so much to learn. And when I was around other people with different backgrounds, it was humbling. And I realized that to give myself a little bit of a break and call myself a lifelong learner rather than an expert on everything, which you could never be. As an educator, getting rid of the idea of perfectionism as an educator also opened me and I think our students to that opportunity for growth. To be able to release that opens the door for creativity and investment, I think, in learning. Nice. I totally agree with that. How do you foster interest in learning for students who are resistant to taking required courses? Because I'm sure that happens where you are. How do you help them want to learn? That's a really good question and fun to address because I know myself, as much as I wanted degrees, there were a lot of classes that I did not look forward to. I see that in my students. In particular, I'll just say when it comes to research and statistics, The students that I have are relational students in counseling, and they want to become professors or they're undergrads in psychology. And so they're really interested in human nature and theory and philosophy and skills. But when it comes to things like stats, there is often people have a brain block that they come in with and a fear that they've created because they think they can't do it. And they don't want to do it because of that fear and also because of lack of interest. When we have classes like that, to me, what's really important is to sell the benefits, not the features, and to be able to talk about what is it that you hope to get ultimately, and this is how it's going to help you get there. Because the class in itself is not exciting, but what is exciting is how that's foundational to their ultimate goal. Then to be able to take the content of the class and make it useful and relevant. This is another condition for quality that Dr. Glasser identified when he talked about quality school, that everything that we do should be useful and relevant for the learners. People come into class often with that question in their minds of how is this going to be useful for me? I don't even understand it. It's difficult for them to make that leap. So our job in breaking down that resistance is to say, here's how this is going to benefit you. Here's why this is exciting. Here's how it relates to you and how it's going to relate to what you're going to be doing in the next class or professionally or whatever. The buy-in then is the usefulness and relevance that people don't anticipate because they don't have that information. That changes that shift in focus to like, oh, I see. This is how it's going to help me. Let me play my tuition right now. (laughs) So 
And it makes a huge difference because if you set up the stage like that, and especially if you get the whole group involved in that kind of thinking, the energy around that in the group process, that's also a key piece as far as getting people engaged, getting them engaged with each other so that they have study buddies or they have somebody that they can reach out to. And the energy then always changes when the environment in the classroom is relational and focused on relevance and quality. I love that. I'm reminded of two things. I'm reminded of the shift from have to to want to in mental freedom. And it sounds like you're facilitating that shift from going from I have to take this class to, oh, I really do want to take this class because there's benefits for me. And then that reminds me of that acronym WIIFM, where we want to help people understand what's in it for them, because that's where the motivation comes from. How will this help me? How is this going to serve me? I love that you do that. When you have a lot of mandatory things, it's really important to do that. Or you're going to have miserable people in class who really don't want to learn. And if you don't want to learn, you're probably not going to learn. You're going to learn as much as you have to for the test, and then you're done with it. Ironically, I learned a lot about this when I was in sales in my younger days. I worked in a commission furniture department. One of the things that we were taught was how to relate and ask questions and draw from to find out what is it exactly that you want when you came in here and what does that mean to you? Because the meaning is important too. You want to find out what people are looking for, what they want from what you have to offer. But the meaning and significance of that also comes down to their basic need. What are they looking for personally, professionally, and so on? I've often thought of myself as being like a choice theory detective in a way, because always to think about, I know from choice theory how people operate. So now my grill is to try to pull that out and understand it and work with it. It's really a lot of fun. I know that you must, on occasion, deal with students who are struggling. And I wonder, do you have a specific process that you might use when you encounter a student who maybe is not being as successful as you hope that they would be or that they're capable of being? Yes, this is one of the real challenges that I have, especially in my profession, because we are referred to as gatekeepers to the profession of counseling. We sometimes have people come in wanting to be in the field, but they want to be in the field because they want something for themselves to fill some gap, whatever. And often we can work with that and they make great counselors, but sometimes people are not suited for the field. So that's a challenge in itself. But there's also the other students who are not meeting the standard that we want. We know that they have the potential. In those cases, I like to meet with them one-on-one and just get to know them and get to talk to them and work with them from a teaching, but also facilitator of self-evaluation perspective. Because I really believe, and I've experienced that they know already that they're struggling, but it's very difficult to admit that, especially if they're used to being in a hierarchy where somebody else is deciding whether they're good enough or not. That again, comes back to the relationship. When I see somebody who's struggling, I will ask them to come to my office and just talk about what's working for you, what's not working for you, what's getting in the way, how can I help support you, is this really what you want to be doing, especially if I think that somebody needs to be counseled out of the program, then it's like, here's where I'm seeing the challenge for you, and I'm wondering if you might be more enthused or successful or motivated toward something different in a related field. 
it comes down to actually using my counseling skills as a manager to manage that situation, to try to create a win-win because the win for me as an instructor and for the program is to facilitate the learning and growth process, but also to launch students in the direction that they want to go, which then becomes the win for the student. I remember specifically having a student who was a very prominent person in the community, and she wrote a lot of newsletters and did a lot of casual publication. And she considered herself to be a very effective writer, and she probably was for that purpose, but she wasn't an academically effective writer. When she got the feedback that she needed to do some improvement, she was very upset about that. We had a conversation and I asked her, I said, when you came into this program, what did you hope to get out of it? Did you hope that you would maintain where you are or did you hope that you would come out being even better than what you were? And she said, well, I want to be better. And I said, that's what I want for you too. So we went from the conflict to collapsing the conflict by finding the area of agreement that we both could come together on. So you want to be best. You want to grow. I want that for you. And I can help you do that by giving you this feedback that'll put you in the direction that you want to go. Are you interested in that? Yes, of course, because that's what she wanted. But bringing that to the level of her awareness, then enabled us to kind of level the playing field so that we could start to do the work that she needed to do to get where she ultimately wanted to go. I like that. And I also like that you didn't have to tell her you're a terrible writer. You could say you are an excellent writer in the informal writing that you do. And this is a different kind of writing that you have areas where you could grow. It's not dispelling her notion that she's a good writer, but she's a good writer in one environment and might need to develop a new writing skill in another. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. I know that William Glasser also has a leadership model that he calls lead management. It's about leadership applying choice theory principles. So I wonder if you have occasion to use lead management as you are looking at classroom management, for example. Absolutely. It changes depending on the environment that people are in. Sometimes I think people don't understand exactly what that means. So let me just talk about positions of management. On the one hand, you have a boss manager, and that's a manager who, I don't even know if I would say a manager, that's a boss, who is a power over, very directive, outcome-oriented, and not relational. So that's one extreme. On the other extreme of management, you have what we refer to sometimes as a laissez-faire management, who is so focused on relationship and because their person is so relational, they find it difficult to hold the standard anything goes, that's fine. That's a more comfortable sometimes way to be, but it also doesn't meet the goals of the system because a lead manager has to work within the constraints of the system while also trying to work with what the employees bring or the students or whoever you're managing brings to the table. That lead management piece is on a continuum where on one end, you have to lean towards systemic constraints. And on the other hand, you lead toward allowing people to have more autonomy over what they do. As part of that, 
it's really important as management in a classroom to be very specific about what the requirements are that need to be met because there are systemic requirements even for getting a grade or being able to pass an exam to be successful. But then there's also different ways of creativity. Like when you write your dissertation, you choose a topic that is significant and meaningful for you. I don't have to choose that for you. I don't boss that part. But the facilitation about how you write an APA style is a non-negotiable. What you write in APA style is where there's that freedom and flexibility. That's where that management piece comes in. It's also really helpful to let people know that that's the system that you're working in. There are those non-negotiables. For example, no smoking on campus, no question. And then there's consequence for that. We work within that framework, but always that idea of there's that continuum. Where you want to be in the continuum depends on what your role is and what the requirements are in any given situation. Right. I like that a lot. I happen to have some insider information because we are friends and colleagues. I know that you had ascended to the level of division chair and you went back into the classroom. So I wonder if you would take some time to share with the audience what it is you love so much about being in the classroom. Yes. I spent five years as being the division chair, and honestly, it was an honor to be in that position. And it was really a pleasure to be able to work in that relational position with my faculty and to be able to have influence on what happened in our program and so on. But there's also a lot, it's an administrative position. So there was a lot of paperwork and things that were just part of that job, but wasn't my picture of what I wanted to actually be doing. So then I realized and I started to think about, okay, what do I really want out of my career? What do I want to be doing? What lends value and meaning to my life that I'm missing right now? Because I felt that gap. And then I thought I wasn't feeling that when I was in the classroom. And I thought, okay, time to step down, let someone else step into the division chair position. And I was lucky because I could go back into the classroom. That was my choice. That's how my system was put into place. When I went into the class, I could just feel the energy as I'm saying it to you. Working with the students to share information about a field that I am passionate about is just inspiring and fills me with joy. To watch the students develop and they start off, and especially in the practicum courses where they're starting to see clients and how they start out and they're tentative and they're scared. And then I am so lucky to be able to supervise that and draw from and use my skills and help add information and watch them get the ahas and have them come in and say, look what I did. And also be wide open to ideas for change and growth and development. And right now I'm in a supervisory class We have a practicum one when they start to see clients and now the students are teaching them in practicum two. And I was just doing supervision last night and the students were popping. They were so full of excitement. I just feel it as I'm talking to you about it. That's the joyfulness of teaching. And the same way I have doctoral students right now and watching them step up and show what they can do and also the struggles, but then the relationship and all of those things that come together in a classroom, that's the synergy that's developed when people are moving and behaving and engaging in their quality worlds, as Glasser would talk about it, because this is what they really want. And there is no greater pleasure than engaging, for me anyway, than engaging with people who are operating out of their quality world pictures of ideals and values and beliefs that they are totally excited about. And that excitement is contagious. 
I just love it. It's so funny you said that excitement is contagious because I'm feeling it from your excitement just talking about it. You are exactly where you're meant to be. You're in the flow. You're in your joy. And it feels so good to hear you talk about that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, my next question is when I ask all my guests now. In true keeping with the title of this show, I like to know of all the choices you've made in your life, can you share one that's had a significant positive impact for you? We were just talking about that. It was a hard decision for me to step down from the chair position because I was committed to our program. I think I did a good job as chair. I got good feedback. People liked me. This was very nice because they said, could you possibly stay? Would you change your mind? So that was nice. First of all, attending to what I knew I needed for myself in my life, paying attention to that and deciding to step down and go into the area of my life where I really feel meaning transform not only my work life, but also my personal life, because now I have a different kind of structure. So I have free time to go out to lunch with friends. I have more time to spend with my family. I can work from home as well as go to the university. So it has given me a lot of, first of all, connection with the students, a feeling of importance and significance in doing this. I have having a lot more fun. I have a lot more freedom and I actually am less stressed. So I'm meeting all of my basic needs by making that choice to step down. As grateful as I am for that experience, I'm really happy that I paid attention to my instincts and made this move in the direction of the next phase of my personal and professional life of following joy. There may be a lesson in there for some of our listeners. Follow your joy. I love that. We're coming to the end of our time together. I hate to say it. I'm wondering if there's anything we didn't get a chance to talk about that you'd like to add now. Following joy is something that I would really just like to emphasize for those who are listening. Because when you're in your work, your career, it's easy to lose track of joyfulness because there's always in career, no matter what it is, whether it's education or sales or whatever you're doing, there are the things that you maybe are not so joyful about that. Always just try to be mindful of where there is joy in your life and seek that out and to look at yourself and think about what is making meaning for me and am I going in the direction that I want to go. We have those opportunities for choices, even if it's just a small choice, to be able to make change for happiness. Wouldn't that be so nice if we could look at that? There's all those opportunities out there. And then the other part of it is the importance of relationships. To be able to have those connections and allow other people to be who they are and accept them for who they are and love them for who they are, flaws and all. Lasser said, all begins with relationship. And I agree with that. Yeah. Thank you so much. If people wanted to get in touch with you for further information, how could they do that? The best way would be maybe through you, if you don't mind, because I have a lot of different ways to be connected to, but a direct line would be if they reached out to you and said that they wanted to connect with me, you could let me know if you don't mind, and then I'd be happy to follow up on that. I don't mind at all. So if you're looking for more information from Dr. Patricia Roby, you can email me at Kim at olverinternational.com. And I'll put that in the show notes. So thank you so much, Pat. My pleasure. Um, Thanks for having me. Oh, it was fun to have this conversation. And I know you're so busy and I really appreciate you setting aside some time for me and for our audience today. So I can't tell you how grateful I am. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Have a good one. You too.
I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when we'll be continuing the topic of education with Steve Hammond. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.